everybody. Welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. This is Miranda from ZinniMe, and I'm really excited to have Annie here from the Rebel Therapist that's going to be talking about the rebellion of what happens when, if you decide to close your practice and do something different, it's going to be a lovely, juicy, real conversation because that's the only way that Annie and I do it (laughs) when we're together, I feel like. Um, So yeah, here we are. So Annie, do you want to share your um, web address and your name and I, I just butcher your last name every single time. So that's no, you don't. It. I don't. Schlesler. No, Schusler. Schusler. See, so. like as soon as I think about it, my <laughs> tongue like gets large and it like flips through. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Annie Schusler and my web home is rebeltherapist.me. And I go by she or they. And did I answer everything you just asked me? I'm just so excited. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. We're keeping it kind of simple because I don't think any, well, you could say where you're from because, you know, people might be interested as to like where you happen to reside at the moment, but I know your practice, you, you do work that's online. So it's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm in the Bay area right now of California. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So we're going to kind of, we're going to start a little bit at the beginning, but And then we're going to fast forward and then like get to the juicy middle and end ish kind of thing. So in like one minute or less, why do you decide to become a therapist? Mm, I feel like I was, I struggled so much with depression as a kid and with anxiety that I was, I was lucky enough to be in therapy from the time I was about eight Mm-hmm. And like, I got kind of identified as like, Oh, what's wrong with this one. <laughs> and luckily got, you know, got some therapy and which is kind of rare for, cause I'm, I'm like almost 50. So it's a little bit rare yeah. to get that like in the seventies. Uh, and hippie parents or hippie parents, oh, that, that makes it less rare. Yeah. Like some <laughs> white privilege, like you know, a combination of, of things. And like, I lived in a liberal, I went to a liberal school. So yeah. So I had a lot of therapy and in the course of that, I, I really got interested in the other side of it. Like I got really curious about how therapy works, how maybe I could be a therapist myself. And so that was, that was just there from probably the time I was a teenager that I was curious about therapy. And I always loved to analyze things. I always loved those deep conversations. Mm -hmm. And it looked like that was the spot where you could have those deep conversations and no small talk. And I was like, yes, I want that. (laughs) (laughs) Were you, were you a dork like me? Did they like peer counselor in high school? Like I was that level of like, down the path or was that not a thing when you were, I was, I did that in college. Yeah. So I started down that path in college. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. And then how long um, did it take you to get through the like schooling and licensure part of things? Well, I took a little side path because I didn't feel like I could be a therapist until I had some more life experience. Mm. So I took a side path and I co-owned a restaurant for a few years and did some different, really cool stuff. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And then I became a therapist when I was in my late twenties. And, and then I went into private, pra- I was working in agencies and I also went into private practice. And so I was a therapist for 20 years. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And just from the, the piece, how many years in agency and then how many, how long did it take to burn you out in age? I mean, to mm-hmm. shift over into, no, you're practice? right. You're right. <laughs> So I worked in an agency that no longer exists. It was like a queer agency in San Francisco um, for about, I want to say like five to eight years, somewhere in that range. I started Mm -hmm. as an intern and then I like moved through that process and was a team manager in the end of it. Mm -hmm. And I was building my private practice at the same time. Mm. So I started my private practice as an intern and I really had a private practice the whole time, but it started out tiny and unprofitable. And then it, it grew dramatically (laughs) over those years. Awesome. Okay. So we'll, we'll kind of skip over when, as you were in private practice, when did you, when and why did you start to look at rebel therapists? Like where did that brainchild start to birth itself? Yeah, I started noticing really early on that even though I had wanted to be a therapist my whole life, that it wasn't necessarily going to be the right fit mm-hmm. long-term. And I was so ashamed of that. So the, that the seed of that really showed up very early. I remember talking to a supervisor who I still know and adore to this day. I remember her saying that she would never want to do anything else. She was so satisfied by this work and just so completely fulfilled by it that her only concern was like that she wanted to make sure she could do it forever. And I felt like that's how I should feel. And I was only just like a couple years in at that point, if that, and I was like, Oh no, I don't think I feel this way. And I better, uh, you know, just go to more trainings and maybe I just need to get to be a better therapist. And then I'm going to feel that way too. Mm. Did, you know, as we all do, like did all the trainings in the world, got a lot of years under my belt, like did some really good work and still. I didn't feel like that supervisor. I felt like there was this other part of me, this other Mm -hmm. set of skills that I wanted to use these other parts of my personality. I wanted to use, Mm -hmm. and I just kind of kept trying to figure out a way to make being a therapist, the right fit for me Mm -hmm. and business coaching started showing up around the edges where I was learning how to make my own profitable business fly and be joyful. And that's, as you know, like that's a a lot to learn. And I found that I loved that learning and I loved sharing it with other people. And so around the edges, I was informally coaching other therapists in private practice on their businesses and loving that work. Mm. And so I was, it took a long time for me to really give myself permission to step all the way into that work and say, you know, this is actually what I want to do. And, and so then I, I started building that 
going to be about 12 years ago now. I started building that and, and then it took me longer and I think too long really to step all the way into that and say, this is, this is what I want to do. This is to really what I want to permission. Yes. You know, it's so interesting because I feel like there's so much about our paths that are like, like that are very similar, but mm-hmm. also like very different. I, um, I started doing a coaching. I kind of fell into it just because I had this online community for study for exams. And mm. so people, when I started my private practice during the recession, were like, what are you doing? How are you doing this? Can you help? And I was like, sure, I'll show you what I did. I'll help you buy, build the website. I'll show you how to show up on Google. Like I'll, I'll, Oh, wait, now you're showing up on Google, but like, you don't know how to have the conversation. Oh, let me, let me teach you how to like have the conversation, you know, all the things. Um, But as it was growing and expanding, I was having this, like, I actually started like in basically in prayer meditation, whatever you want to call it. I was having this thing that just kept saying, let go, let go, Mm. let go. And I I actually called Kelly at the time and I was like, Hey, look, I know we have this like whole business together, but like, I feel like I'm being told to let go. And I can't imagine that any like higher power universal truth would tell me to let go of therapy. Mm. That couldn't possibly be it Yeah, because therapy is like, the thing, this is the thing that changes lives. This has such a direct impact. And I was still discounting in some ways, the like real emotional and psychological and empowerment based and therapeutic impact of business coaching. Like it's pretty magical. Like what we do, (laughs) like it is like, it, it ticks all the boxes. Um, but I was like convinced, um, in that moment that like, and she was like, well, you know, like, are you being directed to like, let go of Zinni me? And I was like, well, I don't know. Like, I don't feel like I keep asking the question and I don't get that answer, but my head says, I can't imagine that I would let go of therapy. Yeah. Right. And maybe it's it's like, I wonder if it's like a weird trick because for both of us, it wasn't letting go of therapy altogether. Like we have these profound and meaningful relationships with therapy and yeah. with therapists. So yes. it's, it's like a little tricky to figure out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sometimes I think of what, what I do and what we do and our, our coaches do in our program as business therapy, mm-hmm. like, and it's been funny over the years. Like I remember someone saying like, this is a, this is a therapist empowerment program disguised as a business building course or something like, like yeah. all of these things that say like, oh, wow. Like what, when we make a change in one area of our life, it impacts all the other areas, right? Like that's what they teach us when we were going to going to therapy school, right? <laughs> going yeah. to the therapy school is like, hey, when somebody makes a change in an area, it can go in and it can start to change the way they react in other similar situations. So when a therapist learns how to, you know, change their anxiety about money in their business, then it changes their anxiety about money in their personal finances. And when they learn to say no to someone who's asking something of them that crosses their boundaries in business, it gets a little easier at home. And, you know, it's a, it's an 
interesting thing to watch. And Absolutely. It's yeah. just kind of magic. Yeah. And I, I think for me, it's a really good fit that I get to help people walk through a very concrete process mm-hmm. in order to do some really deep transformational work, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's where we, that's where I happen to get to help people with things like visibility yeah, and often like embracing parts of their identity, all kinds of deep things. Yeah. And the way I happen to help them do it is by creating programs. <laughs> like yeah. That's just the, that's the vehicle for the work. Yeah. And you know, I just, I love that magical thing of helping someone do something concrete, but then allowing that to unearth so much other stuff. I think it brings it all up to the surface, Yeah, right? Like so fast, something (laughs) simple, like, Hey, let's get your picture on your website. Yeah. Like it's, I remember when I really thought that was a simple thing Mm -hmm. and I didn't realize like, all of the pieces at part of my privilege, right? Definitely. I, I have, and, and I'm saying that as someone who has a lot of anxiety about photographs and a lot of anxiety about that, but I still like fully minimize. What does that look like when you're queer? What does that look like when you're non-binary? What does that look like when you've been taught to whitewash your house and everything about your life and your business, because people are going to judge you and like, you know, go into your house and say it's worth a hundred thousand dollars less because there's a picture of a black family on the wall. Like mm. I, I had no context for any of that, you know, when I started this 15 years ago and to see, like, to, to let my clients really like inform me and, and to look and explore what is the thing? Like, what is the thing that I'm missing? Oh shit. I'm missing a lot. And now that I understand it, now the conversation looks really different about mm-hmm. how to break through that and how to start to really kind of break through some of that like systemic oppression that's happened over a long period of time and how to create real safety um, for people and to explore what does this mean? Like, what does this look like emotionally? And let's prepare you for, mm-hmm. um, you know, what does that look like? How does that maybe having a picture will protect you from microaggressions, mm-hmm. but also might make you a target of over aggression. So like, how do we prepare you for both scenarios, whatever your decision is? Mm. So it's so much bigger. Yeah. It's also like, I have to remind myself with what can feel like a small step to me, like sending out a weekly email, like for, you know, when someone is taking their business in a new direction and going into more of the global online space, like, and part of that might be writing a weekly email to your list. And that now for me is not a big deal. Like in my own personal business, that's not a big deal anymore, but it used to be. And now other things are a really big deal to me. And so I have to like, I have to slow down for a second and do what you just did and like remind myself, okay, this is a big step the first time that you do it or like the fifth time that you do it. And there's an emotional process and a spiritual process to it. Yeah. And yeah, I love how you just slowed that down around the photo. Yeah. And I think that even again, going back to that place, like the amount of times that I've 
been able to like having a conversation with a coaching client and say like, what's it been like when you've spoken up before mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you find the history and you're like, okay, cool. So you're going to do that in therapy, but in this moment, right? Like we can, we can at least identify like, Hey, do you notice like where you're feeling that in your body? Is this old stuff? Oh, it is. Okay. So let's mm-hmm. honor that this is old stuff. And let's like, what do you need to be able to move through this? Like, does it need to be something that we just do something different? Does, do you need some more time? Do we need some brain spotting? Do we need some therapy? Do we need some journaling? Like, let's get to know your body and listen to what your body's telling you that it needs some attention, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just railroading over it. But I think the other piece going back to that, right? So we're talking about this idea of like being in the struggle of like being pulled in a direction or pushed in a direction yeah. and feeling like, well, no, I can't or shouldn't mm-hmm. <laughs> give this other thing up. What was the turning point, breaking point, shifting point? What was like the moment for you where you're like, it's time? Yeah. Like it's time to actually close the practice. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I, by the time I closed my practice, I had my practice to a point where I really loved it. Mm-hmm. And So that sounds weird, probably not to you, but that might sound weird to some folks like, well, why would you then close it if you loved it? But what getting to the point where I loved it for me was really giving myself permission a bunch of times to make changes in my practice, Mm -hmm. like to set the hours I wanted to really work with the folks who I was best suited to work with. And to give myself permission to be really out as queer on my website and everywhere, all kinds of stuff like that, that liberated me and made my work better. Mm. And it was down to one morning a week. So it would be Tuesday mornings every week. I would go into the office before COVID and I loved it. And I loved and still love the folks who I was working with. And still I hit this point where I realized it was very much like, I know you talk about Marie Kondo. Yeah. Freaking genius. It was really a, a moment of a Marie Kondo thing of realizing, okay, but what would I do now to create this therapy practice? If I didn't have it, would, what would I do to get a license? What would I do to like grow a practice. And I realized that this wasn't something I wanted to take into the future with me, that this was something I wanted to like honor and thank and release because I really love having a simple life and running one business. And so it was like, okay, (laughs) even though this is freaking great and meaningful, like there's an opportunity to cost to everything. You don't get yes. to do everything in this one precious life. Yes. The, this whole idea of the amount of people that think the idea of multiple streams of income mm-hmm. means that you should have multiple businesses. Oh God. And no. like, <laughs> oh, please no. <laughs> like, or that like they, they need a passive income stream, right. That's never yeah. passive. No. And they're like, <laughs> like at the point that you have two different audiences and two different websites, like I've, I've had the points in my, in my life and my business where I had three different Facebook pages, 
three different email systems, three different versions of MailChimp at that point back in the day, three different Twitters, like all of those pieces, like it is more mental energy than people really realize to be balancing those pieces. And that's having two separate businesses is different than having one business where you happen to have like two services you provide. Yes. And even that sometimes can be a little complex, you know, <laughs> like depending Absolutely. on what the services are. But I think there's something to that place of like getting down to the core mm-hmm. of quality of life and joy and to be able to say like, oh, I really only need one profit and loss. I only need to have like one LLC or one S corp filing or what have you, like depending on how disparate your businesses are, it's, it really does. Um, I think it's like having kids and I'm saying this is someone who has one child, uh, by the way, <laughs> but like, I never think of kids as like, that you're just like adding one on. I think of them as exponential until you mm. get to five, right? <laughs> And then you're okay until you get to the point that you need like more than eight. So like you have to get the big van that you need to think like at that point, they kind of like take care of them, each other or whatever. But yeah, three kids is not like having three, one kids. Mm-hmm. Like it's a whole different like experience. Yeah. And I also felt like, okay, so what I could do with rebel therapist as is this is when I, I had my practice. I I can make it really wonderful. And what more can I do with it if I take all of this energy and I put it all, not all my energy, but all of my business energy into Rebel Therapist, it just can do even more. And so I'm one person and I realized, yeah, I can make a bigger impact if I have one business. And I can also like right before we hit record, we were talking about joy and like some of the things we like to do for joy. Like I can play my ukulele, for example. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So, um, yeah. I, you know, it's funny when I closed my practice, it came in like a very different way. Mm. And actually it came with, I don't even know that I've ever like fully publicly talked about it, but it was a very like, I felt really scared and I felt really like shame, like ashamed. Like there was a certain amount of like shame regarding it. Um, And it was, and then one side, it was so easy for me because I literally kind of got, again, I'm one of those like spiritually directed people. I kind of got this download of like, okay, you're supposed to like move to Seattle for Mm. this is at that now my former husband, also something I tend to keep on the download, right? Um, my ex-husband for his job. Mm-hmm. And it was like, are you sure? And that of course was then when suddenly this let go thing that I kept hearing, like made so much more sense. Like, and it was just clear as day, like crazy story for another time um, that like, we were supposed to move to Seattle for his job mm. and I'm not licensed in Seattle. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to do trauma work in, um, uh, online. Um, and you know what? Um, I don't know if I, I don't know how long we're going to be in Seattle and I don't want to grow a trauma practice in a state that I'm not committed to. And I don't want to bring people in to do like, what's like medium to long-term work only to like leave 
in a year or three. Like, I don't, I don't know what this life is going to look like. And so I really just leaned into, and I kind of like, people were like, Oh, you moved to Seattle. And I was like, no, like I went kicking and screaming, knowing that this is like what I was supposed to do, Mm. but like had no desire to go to Seattle, like no desire for the Pacific Northwest. It's beautiful. It's lovely. I miss the views, but like, that was not my dream location. Um, and closed down my practice, my very successful, profitable, happy, joyful, loved everything about it practice. Mm -hmm. Um, and was kind of like pushed into, all right, well, ethically, morally, everything about you feels like opening a practice in Seattle doesn't make sense. You already have this other thing happening within me. And so now it's like going all in. And our income was always like, I was usually the primary income earner. Mm -hmm. So then we moved to Seattle and it was very expensive place to live. So I had to like figure it out really quickly to replace my income um, from the other place in a way that made sense. But that going all in and having like full focus, I mean, it was really the point that Zenny me went from something that kind of was interesting and helped a few people to really starting to make a, a dent in the world, mm-hmm. you know, it's like betting on yourself going Ugh. all in on yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. As opposed to like, I was definitely like, I know a lot of people have relationships where their partners are people that are very, like they, they're, um, dependent on their partners financially. And for most of our marriage, like it was the opposite way. <laughs> my husband really struggled to like get and keep a job, um, at the time. And, um, and this was actually, it was really great for him. It was like a really turning point in his career. And he's been very um, successful from there, but it was definitely like, okay, I'm going to this place with someone who really struggles to like keep a job. So like, I need to like figure this out. It was, it was, but it was, it was so interesting how just trusting that intuition place, trusting that messaging place, whatever you want to call it. Um, and I was not comfortable with any of it, mm-hmm. but I knew that it was the right thing in the right time. Yeah. And I think there's, I think there's so many ways when we're talking about like making business decisions. Um, a lot of my like business decisions, even opening up my, my private practice initially was based on that like, oh, it's time to do that. Oh, you're supposed to quit your job. Wait, I haven't planned for that. <laughs> like, What's going on? Okay, I'm going to do the thing, but I'm terrified. And I'm just going to like figure it out as I go. Um, and, you know, we definitely in our coaching, we try to teach people the other way to like be planful and to like, you know, tick all the T's and dot all the things. But like, at the same time, there's this core place where sometimes it's just time. That's and right. Like, you just know it with your whole being. And I think it can be, um, it can be really powerful on which, whichever side of the fence you're on when you know that a change needs to be made um, yeah. to know that like sometimes you cross every T and dot every I and sometimes you just go for it. Yeah. Know? Absolutely. And like, there's a, I feel like there's a rhythm to that. That's different for each of us. Like I'm very risk tolerant. Like Mm -hmm. I tend to 
do some behind the scenes research and like feel into things. And I have kind of a process to check in with myself Mm -hmm. every morning. And I also, I know some people just need to go a little bit slower. And so as a coach, like I, it sounds like you do this too. Like I really try to tune into what different people's paces are around this stuff and to like give people a lot of room to do more I dotting and T crossing than I need to do. Like I always, <laughs> I always tell people like, if they're like, well, how did you do it? I'm like, well, this is how I did it. And like, you may need to talk to more lawyers and like, you know, take more, take more time with this. You may need a bigger on-ramp than I needed. And like, but yeah, I also love hearing about how you're, you've been the breadwinner and that's been my story too. Mm. And I think that's really, you know, it does make it different. It does make yeah. it different to take that leap of faith, knowing that you're, you're kind of carrying your family with you yeah, and that you're betting on yourself and it kind of has to work out. Like yeah. <laughs> I think the <laughs> fact that it kind of has to work out <laughs> often really has helped me to take the action that I need to take. Like I I'm kind of grateful for it actually, for being the breadwinner in my family. And that has given me some, it's given me a fire that I don't know if I would have had in the same way. Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know that I would have been as, um, like I will even say, so when one of the times I was already in private practice, um, I had a, I had an infant, um, probably maybe still breastfeeding a little bit, but probably mm-hmm. towards the end, maybe like two or say infant, like two, two ish somewhere around there. Um, and we just bought a house, um, not a super expensive house, but like just bought a house and just done a little bit of like super old, like God bless it kind of house. My grandfather walked in was like, this needs a lot of work. That was yeah. his comment on like, yeah. <laughs> the house purchase. Thanks grandpa. Um, and, um, had just invested like the, you know, bought the house and then used the little bit of savings to like take care of the floors that were like coming up in sheets and what have you. And, um, I was like, okay, now we need to like reclaim savings. And then my husband lost his job. <laughs> and I remember, I went and started interviewing places. Mm. Okay. I need to like go and get, um, I I need benefits. we got to like figure this thing out. And then I went through, I got a job offer and then I sat down and I like, just was like still, and I did the math and I was like, what am I doing? Like the best way for me to take care of my family is not to go and get a job that's 32 hours a week on top of my practice. Like the best thing I could do for my family is raise my fee mm-hmm. and see a few more clients like in this interim and like figure it out and ask for more support from my partner in terms of like what's happening with our kid. And, you know, like I, I need to really be super intentional and it was Absolutely. an interesting time. I think a I think there is a lot of pressure for therapists in general to charge a fee as if 
they don't have bills or as Mm -hmm. if they have a second income, even if they don't. Mm -hmm. And I think, especially for women, there is like this expectation and the secret shame. If you have a partner, that's not bringing in an income Mm. that like somehow you're supposed to like magically ignore that fact and like figure it out. And I was like, no, I really, I can't, like, I'm not going to going to do that. I'm not going to put our family into debt because other people are uncomfortable with the fee that I'm charging. Like, and it wasn't a horrible fee, but I remember like getting a lot of pushback. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, being relatively newly licensed and out there doing the work and, you know. Yeah. That's a really good point that there's this, this kind of unspoken idea that you're, there's somebody else supporting you and, and that that's part of why some people can charge a lower fee. And that's, that's kind of a hidden part of it. But yeah, if you're supporting a family, if you live in a place where you need to make more money to take care of yourself, take care of your family, when people get sick to, yeah. Just have a life that actually works for you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's, I still find it so incredibly fascinating. And I watch this all the time with our, um, with our clients, because you probably do this a lot where you have them do the math, right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In their business. And we have mm-hmm. this Excel spreadsheet where they answer all of these questions and is very, very in-depth. And it just, at the end of it, it tells them like, here's what your fee needs to be. Mm -hmm. This is how much money you need to bring in per week. This is what Mm -hmm. your fee needs to be. And they're like, but my supervisor charged this Yeah. or, but the person down the street, that's a psychologist charges that I'm Mm -hmm. like, but this is your math. Yeah. Like, yeah, like this is just math. It's just a resource. Like we're not talking about it's, I don't know what their math is. I don't know if their house is paid off. Mm -hmm. I don't know if they have a trust fund. I don't know what's happening with their spouse, but I do know your math, which you did the work on. Yes. I love this thing that, um, that Tiffany McLean has said about, so if you're undercharging, like if you're setting up your business in a way that you're not meeting your needs. Like you're not paying your bills or you're not able to take care of yourself. If let's say you do need to take some time off, if that's present, it's present in the room. Like that fact and that reality is there in the room as well. And that is impacting things. Yeah. So I, I love that idea of, of facing the facts and facing the math in a really just like open-hearted honest way and looking at, yeah, you get to absolutely make the decision and like have some intimacy with your money so that you're making the decision based on your reality. Yeah. Well, I think that's the piece is that like, in in a sense, I would even go beyond what Tiffany's saying in terms of like, it's there in the room and saying like, then your fees a lie. Your fee is dishonest. Yeah. Right? Like your fee is a lie. If you are not taken care of, if you are still struggling to like, you're on, you have a full 
practice mm-hmm. that is your full primary income and you're still in like income-based repayment and you can't pay down your student loans at like a mm-hmm. basic level, like something is off with that math, yeah. you know? And I think we need to really start to be honest as a profession about what it takes um, to do this work. And it's not something where we get paid, you know, a hundred dollars or $200 an hour, because yeah. we're not getting paid for the time that we're in front of people. We're getting paid for all the time that came before that moment, all mm-hmm. the time that comes out of that session. And that includes your website or paying someone to manage it, your bookkeeping or paying someone to do the bookkeeping. Like no matter how you like people are like, well, I'll just do it myself. I'm like, cool. Then you have less time for therapy mm-hmm. and we need to do that. Okay. I'll just pay someone else. Cool. Then you have more expenses. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like It doesn't matter where yeah. you, where you put it in. Like there's just a cost to running business and we have to be honest about that cost. And our clients need us to be fully present. They need us to not come in tomorrow and say, Hey, I'm done. And honestly, I think that lie of the, um, of the fee, I think it really contributes to burnout and unprofessionalism, um, in our, in our profession, like in, in major ways, I don't think people mean to fall asleep in session. I don't think people mean to, you know, get snarly or squirrely with their clients or other people or forget what they're saying, but these are the things that happen. I have a a friend who, whose child is actually still seeing this therapist and this therapist has done things like show up to a zoom session with their shirt off. Oh um, no. (laughs) Oh no. Have a, a family member in the car while they were on speakerphone during a therapy session on a trip. listening to the therapy session, like these kinds of things, like these are the therapists that are out there in the world, kind of like acting as if this is okay. And clients don't necessarily know that, Mm -hmm. right? But like, we know that. And if we don't, I think if we start to lie to ourselves about Mm -hmm. what it takes and what's needed, I think those lies start to erode our soul. I think they start to erode, erode our professionalism. And then you end up with really weird things happen. And you get these horror stories. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. It also (sighs) feels like, so you and I both have in our stories that we really, I guess I want to use the word optimized. Like we both really optimized our practices before letting them go. And I think that's a really important part of this because there's a, I think there's a fantasy when people start working with me, some of them have a fantasy of I'm going to solve this by jumping into something different. Like I'm going to solve this by creating a program beyond private practice. And I'm like, yes, I freaking love helping people do that. And if you optimize your therapy practice either before or at the same time, like that will set you up to to do this in the right way, to figure out if it's even right for you and then to do it in the right way. But if you, if you jump into the next thing, whether it's like a program beyond private practice or whether it's like 
switching careers, whatever yeah. it is, consulting that, or business coaching. Mm-hmm. This, this, that's Any one of, of mine. I love it. People are like, I don't really like being in private practice. My, my, I'm not making good profit. So I'm going to become a business coach. And I'm like, girl, no, like, <laughs> no, you got to optimize that. Heal thyself first. <laughs> yes. We will totally recreate whatever it is that is horrible for us. Yes. Like I absolutely could have done that. Like I, absolutely find myself in moments where I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you doing? Like, what boundary are you choosing to set or not set here? Because there is no like magic kind of business that will take care of all of that for you. Like you have to decide and like set those boundaries, decide what you want your life to look like, and then actually do it that way. And so I feel like, yeah, healing the business you're in now is worth it. Even if you're going to get the hell out of there, like within six months, like work on healing it like today, figure out your fees, figure out your boundaries, figure out your niche. And like, that will only help you create the next thing. I think it's really almost like, um, like if people can, can conceptualize this, that you're literally like in a miserable marriage. Yes. Yes. And you're like out there, you're like, you know, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to start dating. I'm not going to tell my my spouse. There's not going to be any conversation or communication about that. I'm just going to go over and I'm going to put all my energy into finding the love of my life. Yes. And as soon as I find that person, I'll just go ahead and then this will magically sort itself out. Mm -hmm. And that's just, just absolutely not how it works. If you don't have awareness of what came, how you got to where you are in your relationship, how to close it with intention, how to do this in a, in a healthy way, like having those hard conversations, this, this new relationship, this new person isn't, isn't going to be magic. That's right. There's no magic outlet. And I think right now in particular, you know, we're talking about those issues of and it, and, and it's always interesting to talk about, especially as a trauma therapist, but I think a lot of the things that we're seeing with therapists right now, um, kind of like mirror like a trauma response cycle. Mm-hmm. And one of those ways that we respond to a trauma is to flight is to yeah. run. And I think there's a lot of people right now who are like flighting. They're kind of like running mm-hmm. into, I need a passive income screen. I need to become a this, I need to become a that, I need to go and do something different Mm -hmm. without really looking at like, well, is this your intuition? Like Mm -hmm. really telling you it's time and like, let's explore it. And then there's no panic about that. Or is this really like, you're feeling unsafe, you're feeling fearful, your amygdala is just fired up Mm -hmm. and we need to settle that response. and get into the here and now and make sure that your here and now makes is really safe. And then let's go ahead and create a plan. If like your intuition is like, yeah, that's where I'm supposed to go. Like, yeah, let's do it, but let's not do it in a panic. Let's not do it because we're responding to a global systemic, you know, a global trauma that we've been co-experiencing with our clients for the last, you know, 18 to 24 months. Absolutely. Yeah. And if like, I think one clue, I think there's a lot of clues, but one clue that it's really time to rest is if you keep finding yourself drawn to the idea of passive income, 
Like, I think that's one clue that you may not at the moment have the passion to create like a business beyond private practice because the passive, if it ever comes, which for me, that's not ever my business plan, actually. Like, I really love working (laughs) with people and being in it with them. But if passive is your goal, like that is not soon. And so Mm -hmm. passive, that word passive might mean it's time to rest. Like it's really time to find rest, find a way to take a sabbatical, find a way to add some rest into every day, like find some kind of rest and then see if you've got the, the juice and the passion to actually create something. Yeah. And I would go, um, I, I would go even farther and saying the, like the, the idea of passive income, but also if if what you want to do changes from hour to hour and day to oh, day, yeah. oh, like yeah, that girl. kind of place, <laughs> you know, I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to do this. And every story that, you know, every blog you're listening to a lot of content, you're bringing all this stuff in and it's just, that's where your whole mind is. I think that again, it's this place we're going to be at this point, actually, when this airs, I think our training will have come out, but we're, we're kind of diving into that in a, mm. in an impactful way. I'm really excited about it, um, with this, uh, burnt therapist training, but it's, we need to heal, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, as individuals and as a, um, as a collective and yes, there's going to be some amazing programs and shifts and life changes that's going to come out of that healing, but you cannot skip the healing part. You cannot skip the safety part and think that any business or man (laughs) or Mm -hmm. woman or person or thing is going to save you, you know, like we have to like sit and settle into that. And the best, I, I often joke with people too, with therapists, I'll say like, Hey, how about this? I can give you a passive income stream. It will cost you like, it'll take you no more than an hour to put together. Um, it (laughs) will take maybe like another, like hour or two, um, over a two week period. Um, and you'll have no additional expenses whatsoever. Right. And you'll make $10,000 of like pure profit. Like, how does that sound? And they're like, that sounds amazing. And I'm like, cool. Stop sliding your fee. (laughs) (laughs) If you have 20 clients a week that are coming about 50, 50 weeks a year. And if on average, if you say your fee is 150, but on average, you're only bringing in 140, that's $10,000 in profit. If you say your fee is 150, but your average is actually 120 because of insurance, that's $30,000 of profit, mm-hmm. right? No additional expenses. So I think that's the other part too that's so interesting is there's also a this passive income and the and the discomfort with talking about money and talking about their fee and making changes of what they really need in their life. Yeah, it's often this fear of saying like. Well, what really needs to happen is that like, I need support for my business Mm -hmm. and I'm not asking it. I'm not even giving it an opportunity to support me in the way that I need it. It is a relationship. And I need to say, Hey, you know what? 
I, I do need like another $10,000 of profit from you. And I need it like right away. Mm-hmm. And the business says, well, cool. But like, you're not charging what you said you're going to charge. And like, what are you doing? And then you signed up for another $10,000 program over here <laughs> on top of that. So now I'm getting to like help us escape, mm-hmm. you know, and create this mm-hmm. passive income stream when like we could have done that with a few hours and a few mm-hmm. difficult conversations we could be on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Oh my yeah. gosh. Something I, you, <laughs> I love it. Something you've, you've mentioned a couple of times that I want to really hold on to is like this idea of being willing to be uncomfortable. And like, I've been thinking a lot about that as entrepreneurs and as healers, I think we need to be willing to be uncomfortable And then also to know what is discomfort that's growthful and what's discomfort that's just telling us like, get the hell out of this. This is not right for you. This is not aligned. And they're different. And I think we are in a great position as healers to know that difference, but we need to like pay attention to it. Like I have done things that I was uncomfortable with because they were wrong for me. They were not aligned with my values. And then I do things all the freaking time that make me uncomfortable in like the best way. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and like, I, I mess it up sometimes, but like, that's for me, like, that's a conversation that yeah. I need to be in with myself constantly. And I keep hearing you mention like, yeah, that, like, what kind of a should is it like, is it coming from your spirit or from your ancestors or is it coming from like, capitalism. Like where's the should coming from? That really matters. It really does. And I think, um, this is one of the reasons why, I'm so sorry. Um, this is one of the reasons why I really like the whole, like what we do in one thing is what we do in everything. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of therapists do not like, we all need more hobbies. We need, Mm -hmm. we need things outside of the therapy room that allow us to get to know ourselves and how mm-hmm. we feel in different situations so that we can like explore that and notice where it comes up. So for example, um, like climbing for me, I'm not, I have a mm. fear of heights or acro yoga, like mm. to, to know the difference between, Oh, I can see that this is safe rationally. Um, and I can feel that this is bringing up my issues of allowing other people to like trust, to support me. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for me to trust people, but I can see that this person is trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So let me practice leaning into that discomfort of allowing myself with trustworthy people to be like literally physically supported. Yeah. And how might that help me in other areas of my life to allow, right. To figure mm-hmm. out who I can trust versus and also with, with acro yoga, right. You balance on other people. Mm. There are people where I'm like, Oh, that's not someone that I would trust to support me. That mm. doesn't feel safe for me. And can I communicate that with someone, you know, like I was doing something where I was supporting someone, I was holding them up in the air. Mm. Um, they were upside down. Mm. And then when it started, I said, Oh, down. And they didn't like, kind of like listen. And then Mm -hmm. they decided to kind of bail in a way that I felt really uncomfortable with. Mm. And, and they were fine. They were like, Oh no, I knew it was safe. And I'm like, but I need to communicate to you. (laughs) 
yeah. <laughs> really unsafe for me. But that has been like work to say, like, I really like playing with you. This is really fun for me. That's a really, it feels real uncomfortable. And I don't, you know, can we talk about how we can bail in the future mm-hmm. when something's not working? Right. But those skills that I practice in this silly, playful environment, do they come up in my business? Absolutely. Do mm-hmm. they come up with my clients and my personal, my romantic relations? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I think we need to have some more time and space, but I think most therapists have no time and space to like be still to play, to play on someone else or get on the, their uke and like, yeah, take a class or, you know, start working on a really hard song and to know, like, is this just, is this song like outside of my scope right now? And I need to like work on something else and come back to it. Or like, do I just need to like stick it out and like be uncomfortable with it? You know, like, is this something that I need to bring out into the world and, you know, bring out the ukulele on the podcast with Kelly Miranda and play everyone's (laughs) song, you know, like, or like, Oh no, like that doesn't feel good. Right. Like whatever that is, like, these are the places that we have to like have some room and space. And I think, especially with the demand right now for therapy, I think Mm -hmm. a lot of people feel an obligation um, to do just as much as they possibly can. And most people have less reserves than they did before. So we should actually be seeing fewer clients right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, not more. Yeah. You got to like, look at the long-term, look at preserving yourself. And if you throw yourself under the bus, you're not going to be there. You're going to be that therapist with their shirt off that Miranda was talking about earlier. Like you don't want to be that person. Please don't be that person. Please don't. Well, I know that we are at the end of our, um, our hour. I don't even know how long we've been talking. It's been a while. I love it. Um, I love it. Check out rebeltherapist.me, right? Or the rebeltherapist.me. No, you got it. Rebeltherapist.me. Yes. rebeltherapist.me check out Annie get on her list she's magical can you like <laughs> didn't you feel that don't you yes um so. thank you so much yeah and and this is a this is an opportunity to look at creating a signature program beyond private practice that is not built on bs and it's not promising you passive income in the next six months, it's, it's going to be based on the truth. Yeah. And the truth is the truth is you need to start small and run experiments and start serving at the highest level, just like you would in your therapy practice Mm -hmm. and learn as you go and create something sustainable. Yeah. That's some of the truth. Yeah. And as Annie said earlier, some of the truth is also work on your, your main business yeah. before or during That's this right. is not, this isn't a magic wand or escape to that's right. let you, you know, quit this. I think sometimes that's even, oh, see, I'm just going to get sidetracked, but like that, mm-hmm. like even like private practice sometimes is like, oh, this agency is burnout and it's, this is so terrible. And then we don't really look at what, how we were kind of complicit or Mm -hmm. what we learned about that. And then we replicate 
what we learned in the agency and our private practice. And then we're like, oh my God, private practice is terrible too. Mm-hmm. Let me go over here to this like program online course. Cause I could do that from anywhere. Meaning now you're on your phone 24 seven, you have even <laughs> less like whatever, you know, and then like we're replicating the path. And then finally we go, wait, let me do something. I keep work. being the one who's here. So there must be something about what I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or just, you know, something that I need to learn and, yeah. and lean into, and that's okay. Like we're all learning. I'm still learning. I've been doing this for a long time, you know, mm-hmm. like I used to be the young person in the coaching place. And now I'm the person with all the gray hair, you know, like when did that I'm going to be 50, um, exactly one month from today. So how are you going to celebrate? Yeah. I'm, I'm going away with a few of my really close friends in January. Mm-hmm. Um, but really just some like internal quiet time to reflect is yeah. the thing I'm craving the most. That's beautiful. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I just celebrated my birthday. I'm not quite to 50 yet, but I'm, it's, it's, it's coming down the pipe. Um, and I actually had like a party. Nice. Um, yeah. Which I don't normally do. I don't generally celebrate my birthday, but I was like, you know what? what do I, like, I want to dance. Like I want to like be silly and like have a great time. And so I was able to do it safely. So I'm really excited about that. So anywho, until next time again, rebeltherapist.me, check out Annie. She's lovely. And of course, you know, zinnime.com forward slash free. we got all the resources, podcast notes. You can check all that out um, over there as well. Until next time, just know that you really can have a life and a practice that brings you joy and healing. Um, You deserve that. You know, you're worthy of that today. You don't have to wait for it. And if you need some support and skills and strategies on how to actually make that happen, there's lots of resources out there for you. So just go out there and get what you need because we need more therapists like you, not less.